gentlemen, there's one golden opportunity with the Major League Baseball lockout that's now one glorious day old, and it'll be just as critical when it's a month old or a year old or even longer, and that's to restore fairness to this grand game that once graced our entire national landscape but now panders to a handful of the most populated cities and takes a figurative leak on the rest of us. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Pirates. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into football and or hockey, I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. If you're a regular reader of DK Pittsburgh Sports and you read the column that I have put on the site this morning, these words will sound familiar. I'm trying something I've never tried before. We're going to do an audio version of the column. Just reading it. Simple as that. I feel this message is important enough to share in whatever form I have available to me. And with that, I proceed. Salary, cap, or bust. No, it's not that simple. It never is. And no, it's not about taking sides because of personalities or backgrounds. This isn't some reality TV show. It's a pivoting point in the history of our former preeminent pastime. And no, it sure as hell isn't about Bob Nutting. Rather, it's about saving a sport that's so blind to anything outside New York, Los Angeles, and a couple other metros that it doesn't come close to grasping the magnitude of what's already been lost. The plummeting attendance and the ratings, the empty sandlots, the other sports that have either gained or surpassed it in prominence in cool factor The fact that Mike Trout and Shohei Otani could stroll through Market Square in full uniform and in the lunch hour and barely be recognized. Proof? Exhibit A. In 2019, the final full year before the pandemic, according to research from my friend Mike DeCourcy at the Sporting News, NHL attendance hit an all-time high, 22.2 million. The NBA did likewise, 21.49 million. Major League Soccer did likewise, $8.6 million, while baseball dropped 13.8% from its all-time high in 2007. That's not a Pittsburgh problem. That's an American problem. This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern. That's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone. An eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. Allow me, please, to offer... A rapid-fire 21-point primer of this whole scenario, one that's going to fly in the face of a few widespread misconceptions. Number one, baseball's the only sport left without a salary cap system or anything close to it. It is the wild, wild west in nearly every way. There's a luxury tax on teams with payrolls over $220 million, but that's been a soft deterrent, and there's been nothing in place to enforce a range that it include the bottom. Number two, as a result... The Dodgers spent $271 million 
on payroll this year, while 12 of the other 29 teams spent less than $100 million. And four of those, the Marlins, the Indians, the Pirates, and the Orioles, spent less than $60 million. The Dodgers spent $70 million more than any other team. But the Yankees and the Mets also spent quadruple that of the bottom three teams. In stark contrast, in the NFL, NHL, and NBA, the salary cap systems create a top and a bottom range of roughly $30 million. Number three, a salary cap system for anyone who's new to my stuff invariably comes with a ceiling, a floor, and expanded revenue sharing. It never, ever, ever is just a ceiling. It never, ever, ever is just a floor. And it wouldn't work at all without the expanded revenue sharing that allows the lower revenue teams to spend into that designated range. Number four, baseball already shares revenues on national broadcasting money, on merchandise, on web-based ventures, and it does so evenly across all 30 teams. When a fan buys an MLB.tv package or a Brian Reynolds jersey, the same one-thirtieth of that money goes to the Dodgers as it does to the Pirates. This is also how it works in the NFL, NHL, and NBA. Number five, the separator in baseball is local TV revenue, and it is a colossal separator. In 2013, the Dodgers and Time Warner Cable signed an unprecedented, borderline unbelievable 25-year, $8.35 billion, that's with a B, contract for Los Angeles TV rights. This pays the Dodgers $239 million per year, enough all by itself to cover almost all of their payroll. The next biggest local TV take of any team is the $138 million of the Angels, more than $100 million lower. The Pirates' local TV contract with AT&T Sportsnet, signed in 2019, has never been made public, but my information has always been that it brings roughly $44 million annually to the team. That's believed to be in the bottom five or six of the majors' 30 teams. Number six, just for fun, here's another separator that's little known. The Pirates collect exactly $0 in parking revenue at PNC Park. Did you know that? one of the few teams in the majors in that category. The only parking the team owns is a small private garage under the stadium that's used by the players and coaches. Everything else on the North Shore, independently owned. Number seven, the Dodgers own every chunk of asphalt around Chavez Ravine, and there's nothing else there if you've ever been there, accounting for nearly $100 million in annual parking revenue. I did mention that they were extraordinarily profitable, right? Number eight, month ago, the recent proposal made by Rob Manford and the owners to the Players Association called for a reduction of the luxury tax threshold to $180 million, as well as, for the first time, a salary floor of $100 million. The latter would be funded by the tax on the teams that are exceeding the threshold, like the Dodgers. But Tony Clark, the union's chief executive, dismissed the proposal out of hand, saying a system that restricts player pay based on revenues is a salary cap, period. Even though the proposal contained no hard ceiling. When we come back, I'm going to continue this. Stay with me.
continuing my audio version of today's column that's on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I'm now up to point nine out of my 21-point primer on why Major League Baseball owners really need to stick with it this time. Number nine, no what Rob Manfred and the owners proposed to the players a month ago is not technically a cap system. As Manfred went out of his way to state just yesterday, quote, we're the only league without a salary cap, and he did so sounding as if it'll stay that way, which means nothing, because that proposal is patterned in every way, shape, and form on a cap system. This is mere semantics. Number 10, the union's counter to this proposal, and I wish I was kidding, was to reduce the current revenue sharing, reduce the current revenue sharing by $100 million, meaning to share even less with the low-revenue teams. Presumably the thinking being that, well, if the Dodgers and Yankees keep that money, they'll spend even more, which obviously ignores the enormous profit being made in Los Angeles. But, hey, send a message to the little guys or something. Number 11. More than half of all the teams in the majors have over the past decade adopted an approach that some describe as tanking, meaning they allow their payrolls to plunge to low levels, rebuild their roster by moving veterans for prospects, try to win again when those prospects are in the majors, and are due little more than the big league minimum wage for their first three years. The Pirates are doing this, of course, right now. The Cubs, the Astros, the Braves have done it on their way to World Series championships in the past decade alone. Number 12. Three years ago, I asked Tony Clark, the union chief in Bradenton, Florida, why the union, which had just filed a grievance against the Pirates and three other teams, wouldn't just agree to a salary floor. His response and I quote, if you agree to a floor, you agree to a cap, end quote. That's been the standard union line on that subject for decades. They see the floor as a slippery slope. Number 13, that stance is held most vocally by super agent Scott Boris, who currently has five clients on the MLBPA's eight-player executive board, one of whom is Garrett Cole, who I can tell you would follow Boris off a cliff. Boris, last month, derided the Braves' first championship since 1995 as, quote, the Easter Bunny delivering rotten eggs, end quote, adding, we have seen the championship in 60 days. The rules allow them to be a less than 500 team on August 1st and add four or five players from teams that no longer wanted to compete and for very little cost changed the entirety of their team in season. And we saw this unfold to the detriment of teams that create at vast expense planning and intellect and won over a hundred games. End quote. He's talking about the Dodgers. He's heartbroken that the Dodgers spent a gazillion dollars and couldn't get past Atlanta. That's how he sees this. The team's that pony up for his clients, like Max Scherzer just getting the $43 million annual salary from the Mets, those are worthy winners. The rest are undeserving. Number 14, the Boris Corporation, and that's what it's called for real. 
has an army of workers constantly staying in touch with reporters, most of them at non-local outlets, and feeding them information. He'll even attempt to instruct reporters on what they should write. I am speaking from first-hand experience. Number 15. There's a common thought that the bigger markets will be opposed to a cap-type system, and maybe in the end they will. But to date, the teams driving the process have been the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yeah, it was Hal Steinbrenner. Speaking up two weeks ago when he and the rest of the representative seven-team labor policy committee voted unanimously to approve the aforementioned proposal. It was a unanimous deal, Steinbrenner would stress, not once but twice upon emerging. Oh, and get this. Of the $1.7 billion that teams invested into free agency in November, the Yankees put out $2 million, about a third of what the Pirates did. Hmm. Number 16. It's always been the biggest markets that have pushed these things historically, by the way. Never underestimate how much the rich value getting even richer. No one hears Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, or Arthur Blank complaining about the NFL's cap, do they? Number 17. Nothing's rarer in baseball writing than the mere mention of a salary cap. They will contort like it's a game of twister to avoid using it. And when called on it, and I'll do that occasionally just to be annoying, they'll change the subject to anything else. Number 18. Baseball writers, more than any other breed of sports journalist, pay little to no attention to other sports. Behold this beauty on Twitter yesterday from ESPN's Buster Olney, and I quote, This will be the first time that a major U.S. pro sports league went through a labor shutdown since the advent of high-impact social media. Um, no. The NFL had a lockout in 2011, the NHL had two in 2004 and 2012, and the NBA had one in 2011. But then, maybe only baseball counts as a major sport. Because of this, these writers also know little to nothing about how a salary cap works, as I've encountered in direct conversation with a few of them. They think, as most do, that it's only a ceiling. 19... They also regularly cite as evidence of parity that Major League Baseball has had 21 consecutive years without a repeat champion. This is absurd. It's taking the haphazard results of the final round of a playoff and extrapolating that for effect. The pertinent facts, the Yankees haven't had a losing season since 2000, averaging 94.1 wins per full season, a span in which the Pirates, Reds, Brewers, and Royals, the four smallest actual markets, don't have 20 winning seasons combined. One of that bottom four, the Royals in 2015, won the World Series. And only one team, the Marlins in 2003, won a World Series without being in the upper half of the payroll rankings. Number 20. The likes of Scherzer make out big in this system, but one area of universal agreement, including within the union, is that it's come at the cost of baseball's so-called middle class. The highest-end wages have gone up while the middle's plunged, and the lowest has stayed about the same. This was the case, too, in the NHL before the big lockout in 2004 that instituted their cap. Now, 
in all three of the other leagues, the owners and players split revenues on a virtual 50-50 basis. Baseball players, meanwhile, keep seeing their portion shrink. 20 years ago, they took 56% of total revenues. Now, it's 40% and diminishing by the year. In 2014, the average salary of a mid-tier free agent was $11.8 million. This past season, it was $6.2 million. Why? Because as revenues have grown, the players have continued to prefer this wild, wild west approach rather than the guarantee of a percentage. Know what does that? Yeah, a salary cap system guarantees, legally binding, independently audited each year that players in the NFL, NHL, and NBA get their allotted share. The MLBPA doesn't want that because of what? Principal? Boris? Ego? Finally, number 21. Endless research. Endless research has shown that baseball players would be paid more in a cap system. But that isn't required. The percentage of revenue take is all that anyone would need to see. As veteran New York-based scribe Jesse Spector wrote three weeks ago, quote, a salary cap has long been anathema to the MLBPA. It's now the best way for the players to make sure they actually get the money they deserve as owners open new revenue streams. End quote. But then there's also projectile vomit like this from another veteran New York-based scribe, Joe Sheehan, who tweeted out yesterday, quote, Just based on the replies I'm seeing here, I wonder if contracting the Pirates would be the simplest solution to all of this. No other team exploits the current rules set to the same extent. No other owner has so clearly refused to put money into his roster. <sighs> Contraction. Oh, man. Look, I can do this all day. The players will be painted almost everywhere as union brothers, as if people with seven-figure salaries can somehow share ground with common folk and the real reason unions exist. The owners will be painted as villains, particularly by the non-local media. That's already happening, and actually, it'll be an accurate portrayal. Around here, nutting will be painted as cheap and not worth supporting in any capacity. That'll be just as accurate. But again, this isn't about taking sides because of personalities or backgrounds. It can't be. This is way bigger than any excessively simplistic storylines. It's about restoring hope in a majority of the majors' markets and about all the resonating benefits that come with that. More fans in more places, more heroes in more places, more passion for the game in more places. And yeah... That includes this place. The distrust in our city of the pirates in general, in nutting specifically, is through the roof. And worse, it's justified. Neither the team nor the owner has done anywhere near enough to earn anyone's faith. And I'm no exception. I'm giving Ben Charrington, Travis Williams, Derek Shelton, and this new management team a chance, as I feel that's only fair. But the list of what remains to be proven by them and by nutting is infinitely longer than the list of what's actually been achieved. I'd, I'd love to see that scenario changed. I'd love to see 
people in Pittsburgh buzzing about baseball again. A cap-type system isn't a cure. Payroll isn't everything. Ask the Bengals and the Browns and the Jaguars. Ask the Coyotes, the Canucks, and the Senators. A bad owner is still a bad owner. But, but, the cap-type system puts the conversation back where it belongs, and that's on the field. In the year leading up to the NHL's 2004 lockout, the Penguins were dead last in the standings, dead last in attendance, and yes, dead last in payroll with the same ownership group, Mario Lemieux and Ron Burkle, that everyone around here hailed for the 17 years that followed. The only thing that changed was the installation of the cap. No one around here should even know Nutting's name. And they might not in a circumstance where all the other owners and him, of course, were forced to spend in a similar range. He'd be just another name on the second page of the team's media guide and not the completion to every casual conversation about the Pirates that anyone dares to start around here. Baseball in Pittsburgh these days. It's gone from Hannes Wagner to Ralph Kiner to Roberto Clemente to Willie Stargell, from hosting the inaugural 1903 World Series to Bill Mazeroski hitting the greatest home run of all time to 13 total Hall of Famers to five total championships to this. I don't care if it's Nutting's fault. I don't care whose fault it is. Not anymore. Changing it should be the goal. Here and everywhere it applies. And if that requires a long, ugly shutdown that wounds those people in New York and Los Angeles who can't wait to have their isolated fun again, so be it, because this was never intended to be just their pastime. I appreciate everyone who listens to Daily Shot of Pirates. I do not plan to make this a recurring theme. I take a lot of pride in writing separate columns and doing separate podcasts, even maintaining separate subject matters. But when I sat down to do this, it kind of hit me. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to be able to pick out just one of those 21 things, so I thought, all right, here, we're just going to read them all. Uh, I'd love to hear from you on this subject, wherever it is that you happen to find this. If it's on our website, on DK Pittsburgh Sports in the comment section, if it's on Facebook, if it's on YouTube, any of the other various places that we have it. Would, would love to hear back from you. Uh, let's do this again on Monday.